Blog Talk Radio. Robinson, 
Tawana Buttercup Watson has been a bright star in her own right. That part of I can confess to that or testify to that. Throughout her childhood, she's a national. This 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 got me right here. She's a national defense medal and military qualified sharpshooter, y'all. Um, learned during her many battles how to identify, engage, and win the wars such as lymphoma, cancer, Hashimoto disease, and low blood. She served on the Collegiate Oral Health Advisory Board and been in the dental industry for 25 years, providing health status changing oral health care to individuals who are immunocompromised from illnesses such as HIV and AIDS, cancer, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. She's an entrepreneur. She's the owner-operator of Global Eyes on Health, where her company provides CPR uh, courses and certifications, guided meditation, mindful meditation, and juicing a generation. She's also a philanthropist, community leader, sole founder of a grassroots nonprofit called the Oaks of Righteousness Cancer Foundation. She's executive producer and host of the informative systematic health and wellness podcast called Shift Happens 365. Lastly, she's a, lastly but not leastly, she's a breast cancer survivor. Basically, y'all, she's a, she, she's my superhero. Like, <laughs> that bio is it's just everything. So welcome, sis. Welcome. I, like, I feel like, wow, you know, you, you, you got time for little old me. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. You are my sister in Christ, and you're my sister, you're my friend, my sister friend, and I just enjoy always talking with you because it's always a level of elevation and challenging. And, and, and one thing that I would say that I love about being in your presence is experiencing God. That is it right there for me. Oh, dang. It. Wow. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had a more amazing compliment. I'm not even sure if I can if I can walk in those shoes, but thank you for that. Wow. Well, that's, you know, we say that, and you don't have to be humble about it. You just thank God that you're you are that beacon of light. You know, take your little bow and take your big bow. Take your flowers because you know some people won't speak it or be it. So, no, I mean that from the heart. When I can experience God with a, through another person, that's a phenomenal place to be. And so I don't lightly exchange that, that sister and that sister friend and all that stuff. I take it to heart mm-hmm. because that's what I really and truly need. Yeah. Well, yes, I will yes. take my bow. I will accept my flowers, and I will do my best to continue to own such um, some such praise from someone that I, I definitely respect, um, and you know, you were you were one of the best things that came out of Dallas in my time there. Like, even though we never Aww. really got to hang out, like we kept trying and to hook up and meet up and stuff, and it never really happened. But um, you know, I truly value the friendship that we've built um, over yeah. the last few years. And, you know, you've had me on your podcast a number of times. And so I truly, truly feel honored that now I'm able to have you on mine and introduce my tribe to the amazing stuff that you do. Because when you're doing your show, you're not talking about how great you are. And so I feel like people need to hear that. Because you two are very, very humble 
um, and you just go about your work and your advocacy and your community leadership and, you know, all of the things that you do in such a, a quiet and unassuming way that, uh, you know, nobody sees and, and really understands until they see and understand. And so I, I find I, I'm I'm just super excited that you're here tonight so that we can um, dive into some of those things. Um, you know, I said that when I read your bio, and lastly, you're a breast cancer survivor, and I put that last um, for a reason when I read the bio because, you know, the, with the show being called Voiceless to Victorious, um, mm-hmm. I can't think of a, a scarier, um, more intimidating thing than to be diagnosed with any type of cancer. Um, oh, God. And I can, yeah, like I can't even, you know, you, you and I have talked about that. Um, yeah. But it's one of those things where, you know, we talk about people going through stuff, right, and we talk about obstacles and challenges and things like that. Um, but that in particular is enough to silence a lot of people and truly steal not only your voice but steal your joy, steal your hope, steal all of these things. And I left that last when I read your bio um, because you took that and you built something out of it. So, so what something that would have been a stumbling block or a roadblock for many, you created a stepping stone out of it. And you have built a powerhouse of businesses and community leadership and you know, you're an example to to so many. And so I don't want to go all into you because, like, I just, I love you wholeheartedly. I just love you so much. Um, but so tell everybody about your story. Um, and I do want you to talk um, about the cancer experience and sort of help us understand how how you didn't allow that to silence you. So the floor is yours. I'm going to stop talking now. Ah, well, thank you so much for a beautiful introduction. Wow, cancer. I had been an advocate, and this is something that is not included in my my bio, is uh, my advocacy for cancer when I was uh, much younger. I lost my grandmother to cancer, and I lost my aunt, her daughter, also to cancer. And so I was a big advocate. I was out. I was walking. I was raising money. And it, I was just out there as a voice because I felt that cancer had robbed me of my years with my family, the, the, my, my ancestors that now have gone before me. And it, it, how can I help silence it? unless I challenge it. And so from the age of 18 at the um, the loss of my grandmother, I started hitting the ground running and being an advocate for others. <laughs> Lo and behold, it's so interesting how, uh, how things work. I had started receiving mail from the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. And I'm like, why are these people sending me? I, I don't do this organization. Now, I'm an advocate for many cancer um, uh, uh, organizations, but I'm like, I just, I'm not getting that one. So fast forwarding, uh, when I was in, living in Atlanta at that time, I was working out. I was leading a boot camp uh, class twice a day and just living what I, I call a normal life. 
One day I was having a difficult time catching my second wind. So it's nothing for me to get up and run the five miles. But when I wasn't able to catch my second wind, it became harder for me to run and complete my, my, my distance. But, however, I was able to get to what I needed and felt good. But after that, it would take me a long time to recuperate. Well, one day it's in December 2009, it just felt like a 500-pound man was laying on my chest, and I couldn't breathe. It hurt to breathe. I didn't want to. It was easier, death seemed easier than for me to take that next breath, if you can imagine that. So, oh, my goodness, then they gave me the medication. Then I started responding to the medication, which was crazy, but fast forwarding to okay, here's this cancer diagnosis. And getting the call as I'm driving on 285 in Atlanta, it's like my doctor says, you have cancer. And I just thought, this can't be real. How in the world can this be true? And when I had shared it with some family members, the first thing they thought was dead man walking. Mm-hmm. Every experience in the family, they died. Everybody died from cancer. No, I don't understand this. This thing doesn't make sense. And I'm fast-forwarding the story because of the sake of time, but it's just like, okay, how am I going from this healthy to this here? And mm-hmm. along the way, I went to the first place I went to was my oncology. They dismissed me the first time. Why? Because you're not you're not that type of cancer patient. I didn't hit any of those. The what says a person have cancer? Well, not until I had a surgery, and they extracted some lymph nodes. Well, it had spread, so it was a stage three, and it was actually Hodgkin's lymphoma that had spread to other places in my body. And so I'm thinking, how do I beat this thing? Now, I was still married at the time, and uh, it was that was the most difficult journey, going through my battle with cancer and not getting the support that I need. And, and as mm-hmm. well, dealing with domestic violence during that time with him. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at how in the world, God, and uh, why me, God, and why this? And uh, for the longest, I, I reached out to a friend and asked for, I had to get help. I got so sick where I wasn't able to go to the store and get some of the basic things that I needed. So I had to reach out for help. I couldn't. No, I could no longer suffer in silence, and that's what I was doing. I was suffering in silence, and so that journey it was it was difficult. But I had to choose me or the marriage, and me including living living post this cancer diagnosis or staying in this cancerous relationship. Well, I had to shed it. And however way I couldn't, I, I had to figure out in a short amount of time not to, to, to wallow in the woe is me or, you know, would you love me, all this other, I, no, mm-mm, mm-mm. He, was, he was already 
in another relationship with someone, and I'm not going to ask you to love me. I'm just getting ready to, mm-hmm. okay, here, and I'm gone. I have to be. So it, 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 was a, it was a difficult, a very, very difficult journey, but it birthed a foundation that helps others and continually is helping others. And in ways that when a woman is diagnosed with, with cancer and is in the, the higher stages, infidelity is higher, uh, separation and divorce is higher for women with higher stages of cancer. By research and by experiencing it firsthand in the support group, while I was doing, and, and doing chemo, I would talk to other women around them and encourage them as well. <laughs> I was already accused of starting a, 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 a social group in, in the, um, while we were doing chemo in the infusion room. Why? Because we have to figure out a way to survive to life more abundantly. So it was it was difficult, very difficult, sis. However, out of all of it, again, I was able to go back, and, and I'm still able to go back and help others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, you know, you and I always talk about um, my, my position that survival is a responsibility, and, you know, some people have that in them and some people um, don't, and there's nothing wrong with those who don't. But I think that when you do have it in you and you do have that kind of calling on your life and the ability to um, communicate that in a way that, that empowers other people and inspires other people, uh, I, I feel like it's sort of an obligation to do that. But um mm-hmm. And you definitely, you know, you do that. We've had so many conversations over the years about, you know, some some, similar, some similarities and some differences. Um, but, you know, one of the things that you talked about just now when you were sharing that piece of your story was you were already advocating for, for cancer. You were already advocating for other people. Do you feel mm-hmm. like already having that advocacy experience was did that kind of help you kind of avoid some of the because I'm just trying to picture you like in your car and you're driving down the highway and the doctor's Mm -hmm. like you have cancer like that's the worst sentence anybody can hear um yes and shifting, taking that and shifting it into gear do you feel like there was some benefit already with within you from the advocacy work that you had been doing over the years? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, because one thing that I was going to allow my my family to experience through me was life after cancer. They, my, my family didn't know that. I was the very first person mm-hmm. on my mother's side that survived cancer. Now, driving down the freeway and hearing this, I could still remember. May 27th, it was a Thursday. Hearing those words, you have cancer, wait, wait. I thought I was released from oncology. But when you come back and all the cells come back, cancer is not half of them, not a third. Every single last one of the lymph lymph nodes that were extracted from me had the Reed Sternberg cell in there. So it was no getting around 
that you have cancer. And the the surprising thing is is that by this time, you know, because I was dismissed, they thought I had sarcoidosis. That was part of the differential diagnosis. Sarcoidosis, oh, you may have asthma, but nobody believed it was cancer. And even me, I didn't think that can be me. But so they didn't believe you it was cancer, cancer and say advocacy. Yes, advocacy says I am getting ready. I am taking in charge my health, and I am going to have this game plan to win. Now, I have in this game plan, I have coaches, which are the doctors, and I have teammates. I have my cheerleaders, which are my sister friends that prayed for me. I have a team of people that wanted to see me beat and win the war on cancer, and I did. Now, I had to at that time because dealing with um, my ex-husband at that, that time who was not supportive. Now, I went to my appointments by myself. Now, I went to one appointment, and I lied, and I got caught. <laughs> so I decided to go to an appointment where I, I had to be put under, but I was going back and forth with him, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to show up. I said, listen, my ride, they're parking the car, they're coming in. Well, we can't do anything until they are here. And I just right. I say, listen, all this to me, you need to get up here because this is dealing with my life. We don't have to be together, but you're getting ready to show up for this right here. Right. And learning to advocate for myself, even for the opposing team. Yeah, I, I looked at him even as the opposing team. I okay. Over here, sir, this is where you, you're going to be at 6-something in the morning while I'm having this, this procedure. And at that time, I had pride that wouldn't allow me to reach out to other family members that would not have allowed me to experience it. But at that, that fast forward to some other things that I put together to help other women as well that are going through um, hardship in their relationships as they're going through their battle with cancer. But advocacy says, I'm standing up. I'm taking full responsibility. I don't have to know all the answers, but I know that I have these team of people that's going to work for my on my behalf. That caused me to do some things as well, right? So I'm the owner of the team. I'm the Jerry Jones of this whole mm-hmm. thing. <laughs> So, yeah, you and them um, cowboys. Don't get me started on them cowboys, girl. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and so I had to I know, love you Steelers, but I love your Steelers too, though. So I, hey, you know, I had to get on board because of what, what were the behavior, actions, thoughts that was going to lead them to say, you are cancer-free. Mm-hmm. So that's part of my advocacy. I I lost before. I had no intentions on losing this one. And right. so I learned. I had to do a lot of research. I had to do a lot of reading. I had to, to change a, a lot of things. I started juicing. I started meditation. I did other things that brought wellness to my body. Now, this in this in 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 my journey, I get to a point where the marriage was uh, 
creating some dis-ease where the, when I was in the infusion room, my oncologist comes beeline. And the oncologist, if you ever been, anybody ever been in one of the infusion rooms, the oncologist is not on the floor unless there's trouble, <laughs> unless there's something else that's going on. And when I seen her, I knew she was coming. It was in my spirit. I said, oh, she's coming to get me. And she said to me, honey, I can't give you chemo today. I begged her. It was December 2010. I begged her. I said, I'll sign a statement. She's like, oh, no, this is not what we do. What we're going to do is we're going to give you a booster to help build up both white and red blood cells. We want you to relax, not stress, deal with whatever else is going on, and then we will run your numbers in January and possibly pick up with your treatment. I begged her, don't do it. So I shared with her what was what was going on. And I asked her, did she have any anywhere anybody that can help me? So she didn't have anybody. She didn't have anything. So that's when I started mm-hmm. creating, okay, well, let me start creating, because I know I can't be the only one, but I'm going to be the one to speak up. So mm-hmm. I started looking, advocating for myself. And when I started doing it, I started creating other programs and, and um, information for other cancer patients as well. Um, what else I want to uh, highlight something that you said real quick um, before you move on. I want to highlight yeah. you said that the marriage was creating dis-ease. And I don't yes. know if people picked up on that. But what she said is the marriage was creating dis-ease, a.k.a. Mm -hmm. disease. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times we don't, you know, we talk a a lot about the impact of stress and how how things affect you, you know, how your mood and how your attitude and all of that stuff affects you. Will you drill Mm -hmm. down a little bit for everybody on that whole, because you're saying, I had all this stuff going on outside of the treatment center and my treatment regimen that was creating yep. additional diseases within me. So not only am I physically uncomfortable in my environment, but it's internally creating and wreaking havoc on my body. So will you talk about that a yes. little bit? Yes, absolutely. Because we, we, we take it, there's positive and negative stresses that are on the body. And the negative stress is, you know, when, and that's when I got introduced to, and we'll talk more about uh, the meditation and what it helped my body do. So dealing with compounding with stress, I have a, um, I have regurgitation in one of the valves of, of my heart. And when you're dealing with already um, conditions and then you add stress on the body, the body at a cellular level is not functioning properly. And when at a cellular level it's not functioning properly for you, then it has a role in how 
that particular uh, organ or tissue is operating for the overall health of your body. And that's why I was falling flat. The stress was a lot on my body where um, chemo, I wasn't able to take my chemo, but also on the hardship end, as in me showing up treatment and it's causing every all my numbers to fall off, not allowing my body to regenerate the cells. Uh, and then cell regeneration after chemo or in between chemo is very crucial. But with the stress and the argument and dealing with the infidelity and other issues that was presented, it created that hardship in my body. And so I had to take a break in between my treatments so that I could regroup and go back out and fight. But I couldn't, I, I couldn't introduce no more negative stresses in my body. That was it. That was it. I had to make a decision. And then that's when I had turned to the meditation. That helped me. Because, see, what happens when your body becomes so stressed, your body releases these hormones that it sits in your system four to six weeks because it's designed to help protect you. Well, after those moments of you being upset and angry or stressed or whatever is going on that creates your body, your endocrine system to dump it into your body, well, it's still there four to six weeks later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how do I not respond to these stresses that are killing me or is that delaying treatment, which is not good, and say, you know what, I need to survive. So stress uh, is, is uh, especially when you're, I mean, any condition, but um, it can create a lot of problems for your overall health, the more stressed you are. And learning how to deal with it through meditation was one of the best gifts I could have ever given myself, was the very best gift I could have. So uh, yeah. I, learned- I want I want you to talk about that um, a little bit later in the show because I okay. really want you to share some techniques and things like that that we can all use. Um, you know, we're living in a time of COVID, so COVID may mm-hmm. not be cancer, but to some people it's still deadly, right? Um, right. Yes. And certainly I think what we've learned about COVID over the last two years is that comorbidities and other factors yes. play a role in how the the illness affects your body and your ability to recover from it. So I definitely don't let me forget that we want to talk want, about that. So, no, I know you I won't. Definitely, <laughs> I definitely won't. I know you won't. Yeah. So I want to back but, up a little bit to uh-huh. um, back to so when you were talking about the one of the things that you said was that women who are diagnosed with cancer mm-hmm. um, face a higher incidence of divorce, higher infidelity yep. rates. And the thing that yep. blew my mind when I met um, the survivor circle that y'all have there in Dallas um, was mm-hmm. the fact that there are also heightened incidents of domestic violence in relationships yes. with women who have. Mm-hmm. So will you 
kind of explain sort of how those things all go together and how how it manifested? Because you said you were in an abusive relationship when you got your diagnosis. So we kind of go back through that and was the relationship already abusive or did it become abusive, become abusive or did it just increase? You know, as it, for everyone, this story is, is a little different. However, we all can identify where there was some emotional uh, abuse that happened first. There was uh, emotional abuse, uh, verbal of abuse uh, that happened before the actual placing hands. See, and, and that's and see. At first, I was like, uh, "That's that's not me," because I didn't have any bruises. I didn't have mm-hmm. any of that to show that. Oh no, you're not. A, you're not domestic violence. And when I started, mm-hmm. when I, I sat and I was with the group, another group of women, it was like, "What do you?" Yes, you are. You are a domestic violence survivor. Now, because you didn't have bruises, that doesn't mean that 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 you didn't experience it. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. so, uh, where that happened along the way, it, it it was it was being married for twenty one years. It didn't just happen during that that battle with with uh, uh, it. It happened. Here and there along the way continually. It just continually to happen along the way. So cancer, um, was it, it, it was just, um, how do I explain it? Um, like putting another log in an already burning fire. Yeah, it, 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 it really was. And me calling him out on on his stuff, me confronting, and me now at this point, um, because the chemo, let me back up. So the chemo, I have finished chemo. And when you finish chemo, you know, you, you're expecting to hear you're cancer-free. Well, I didn't hear that. I was told we need well, to give your body a rest and then go into radiation. And I, I, I just, and I, at that point, I was like, no, this is, is hard enough. I begged for more chemo. Now, who begged for more chemo? I did because I wanted to survive and beat this. And then I had already heard, what if the chemo don't work? And then I'm walking into, well, the chemo didn't work. There was still a tumor that was sitting in my chest. How do I deal with this? Mm-hmm. So, like, okay, God. Now I'm arguing and fighting with him about stuff, and it's like I'm in your face, and I'm telling you this is some things that I need from you. And going back and forth with him about the infidelity, and I said something to him, and I just, I mean, I just, I just wailed at him, and then next thing I know, I was on the ground, and he was just hitting me in more in the, the midsection where there wouldn't be any bruises. And I fought wow. him back. I fought him back. And it was what I did have, I fought him back. And then I got to the control panel, and I put in the distress code because that was it for me. I wasn't taking mm-hmm. no, nothing else from him. And when the police finally arrived, 
at first I was scared, and he was like, is everything okay? And I was like, yes. And then Mm. as he was walking away, I was like, no, no. I said, I'm dealing with cancer, and we're arguing about him and the infidelity, and he pushed me from behind, and I'm fighting him, and that was it. And that was one of the most freeing moments that I told somebody what I was going through. And he he had to leave. And from that point, I felt like then I had my life, some of it back. But I still have this tumor that's sitting in my chest. What are we going to do with this thing? And after mm-hmm. going through that with him and being removed from the home, well, it's time to do radiation. And radiation, I did. I, I, I fought hard during that time as well. And since at the end of my treatment in 2010, Dr. Gadet comes in and she tells me, she said, well, we've done all that we can do for you. All we can do at this point is manage it. Why can't we do something else? Why can't we do something else (laughs) other than manage a tumor that can kill me? Can we operate? No, we can't. And... uh, it was in an operable zone, which is between the heart and the lungs. That's where it was present. That's why it was so painful for me to breathe, because it was right there. And so after hearing those words, it's like, well, we're just going to do scans. So I dug deep. I had a group of elderly people that I hung out with every Tuesday, and they helped me with uh, during my battle with cancer. And Deacon Parker would sing, oh, hymns to me. His wife would lay hands on me. They would circle around me and pray. I told them what happened at the end of that, the, the report. And they said, yeah, we're, not praying, we're not believing that report. And so, again, they gather around me. A whole year passed. I still, you know, Followed my juicing, my meditation, corrected uh, some things that was in my diet, things that they take out of your diet that you shouldn't really eat is red meat and pork, a lot of fried foods and sugary things. And so after following this really tight, I take some scans. And, again, no treatment was rendered from point A to point B. And when she came in and she said, my oncologist said, you're not going to have a bad day ever. And I was like, give it to me. And she said, listen, we read your scan. We can see scar tissue, but we don't see nothing else. Girl, you have to understand. You have to understand what that meant and did for me in that in that moment. Because I don't. I, 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 I just... I grieve every day when I'm challenged. I go back to that moment. When it's challenging, I go back to that that day, July 11th, 2011, when I heard those words, you are cancer-free. There is no tumor. What else? Wow. Wow. 
It was like I can't even I can't even imagine that feeling that you must have had. Right. It was an unbelievable feeling because I had been through so much and so much where I was in silence. I had, you know, some people that I reached out to, one of my, my dearest and oldest um, good sister friend, Juanita. I did boot camp with her, and she helped me a lot. I'm like, listen, I reached out to him. I asked him to bring me. There was three things that I needed after chemo treatment. And I just said, I didn't get a chance to get to the store before the side effects will will kick in. And I wasn't able to drive. She was there. She came and she brought me stuff um, that will help me those three days after chemo was, was, was rough. But I, I celebrate to the to the hills come home. I I really do. So that was my my David beating Goliath type of moment. And then to show my family really there is life after cancer. It's not always a death sentence. And so from that moment I had to look at so many different factors about what is, what was what are the social determinants of health? I looked at where I was born, where I live, where I learned, where I work, where I play, where I worship, how I age, and all those things that affected my health, the functioning and quality of my life outcomes, and the things that put me at risk. So I take that philosophy of looking at the social determinants of health for myself, and then I created and I've changed the name. The new name is I Drop Cancer, and I put wellness in there because I help people mm-hmm. with cardiovascular disease. I help other people with diabetes, immunocompromised patients, which are newly uh, diagnosed HIV women that are black women, um, and how we manage things by the mouth. So I, I'm excited that God chose me. I'm excited, and I want to be that good trouble to get into every day. I'm looking to get into good trouble. And John Lewis, he still, I, when I think of him and see his face, I want even him as my ancestor to say, you know what, I want them to be proud of me. So when you read my bio, I said, Lord, I think my, my, my people up in heaven watching over me, they're going to be proud that this is a good start. So, right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Like, ooh, I got goosebumps. I got goosebumps when we were talking about the moment that they came in and said, you, it, it, like, it, it's not working, like, you need more. And then to hear them come back, you know, months later and say, you're cancer-free, but you know, when we, we're going to take a quick music break, but when we come back, I want to I want to dive into how you took charge of your own wellness um, and and the things you I want to go you you talked about it, but I really want to dive into some of the things that you did that allowed you to kind of take control of it because it doesn't sound like the medicinal therapies on their own we're working. They're telling you you gotta manage nope. this tumor like it's in your chest and you can't breathe, but we're just gonna manage it. Right. Right. And it <laughs> took you saying, No, hell to the no, no, no 
we got to right. do better. We got to do something else. So we're going to go to a quick music break, and then we're going to come right back, and we're going to talk about you taking charge because that's just kind of what you do. <laughs> Crush on Elder Barge when I was in high school. I still kind of do low key, but um, I had I was just in a I was in a zone for a second. I had to like mute my phone. Then I started talking. I hadn't took it off mute yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that song I love that song. But that song I, I picked that while you were talking, um, because when it, it's about just taking charge and you know, like I said before, we went on that that quick break. Um, you know, you were just like, nah, that's that's your answer, but that's not the answer that I'm going to accept. And there's a saying that um, I was listening to, I can't remember, was some motivational speaker one time, and it was it was a wellness um, subject, but it was, you know who it was? It was Deepak Chopra, now that I think about it. And he said that you have to come at things from a perspective of, I accept your diagnosis, but I rebuke your prognosis. I reject the prognosis. In other words, you can tell me what's wrong with me, but you're not going to mm-hmm. be the person that says you got six months, you got 12 months, because as soon as you buy yes. into that that story and you, you accept yep. that story as true, then yep. it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy. It is. And Trust me. when I'm is. hearing you talk about it, I'm like, she's a walking testimony to that truth. Mm-hmm. I, definitely I feel like we am. underestimate that. Like we underestimate we how much control we have over our circumstance, like health-wise, disease-wise, relationship-wise, everything. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I so, so much love about you is, you know, when when you were, you know, in the the treatment room and you're not getting the support that you needed, you're like, well, what do you mean you don't have a program for me? 
So you said, I went out and created one. Yes. And, you know, that's just your attitude. Like, if it's not there, I'm going to make it. If there's not a way, I'm going to make a way. So Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to stop talking because you got me so (laughs) Uh, I told you, that's your voice makes me happy. Um, So talk about that process. Like, what were some of the things, I know you mentioned juicing and stuff like that, but how do you... How do you walk in that space? So think, I'm thinking about a woman who has a similar experience to yours. They've been diagnosed with some debilitating illness, some terminal illness, um, cancer or whatever. Uh, it may even be diabetes or something else, right? Yeah. And they've, they've heard the diagnosis, They're the, but they've accepted the prognosis. Like, this is what my life is going to look like. Now I need to figure out how to live with this prognosis. Now, talk no, to that woman no, and tell no. her what she can do. Sister, I want to tell you, sisters and brothers, because I've talked to the brothers as well. So when, you, when you're with your medical doctor and team and they tell you what part of your body is not functioning well for your overall well-being, your goal is not to ask for samples. I'm going to tell you, I said to her, how do I beat this? I'm, I, I know that I can change the narrative. Your words have power. Your thoughts have power. Now, it, it is. If you sit there and you say, you know what, I'm just going to accept this. Oh, I'm going to die. From, well, it surely is getting ready to happen. It is a self-fulfilling prophecy, you have to look at what you have and how can you change the narrative because you can. You definitely can. However, you can't change it with dirty hands. And what I mean Mm. by that is when you are, and this is what I say to people even during COVID, when they come in, I see them for their dental procedure. Why are you all in my I had one man say, why are you all up in my business? Because if something happened to you while you were in this chair, I'm responsible for you. I have a license to say I'm responsible for you. Now, mm-hmm. you, um, a patient must understand, oh, I don't want to get too far into that. I get so excited about, uh, about talking about it. But for my sister and my brother, know that you can change the narrative. That's the first thing that I want you to know is that you can change mm-hmm. the narrative. But it takes you to decide that you want the narrative to change. Don't be afraid. You know that you can change the narrative. Now, when you get this diagnosis, whether it's cancer, COVID, or any other of those non-communicable chronic diseases that we deal with, high blood pressure is another thing. Two fatality is another thing that affects your quality of life and living. Well, listen, there are things that you have to do to change the narrative and come into the table with clean hands, which means you are taking on the responsibility of changing those things that bring the dis-ease in your body. The dis-ease, the disease, the condition all those things that are making you sick. You have to look at it. Okay, now, are these are my behavior risks lining up 
with good health? Am I drinking a lot? Am I smoking? Am, am I overweight? Uh, it, it, am I, is my BMI high? Do I eat more fast food? Do I eat crap and not good food? When you look at those things and say, hey, the narrative cannot change with these actions here. So in order to change the narrative, there is after that you're going to have to start reading and researching all those things that produce a good quality of life and living for you. So when you hear the diagnosis, you hear what the prognosis is. When you start, when you start from that moment there, now go out and start looking and researching. If they don't have it, then call me, email me. I will find someone that will give you the answer. But you have to be able to say, you know what? I want to enjoy a life free of cancer, free of high blood pressure pills, free of type 2 diabetes. All it's saying is where we've been for generations. You can change the narrative. So I'm telling my sisters, my brothers out there, that we have to change the narrative. When we look at our community, we're leading in all the leading cause of death. When you look at cardiovascular disease, we're up there. Diabetes, we're up there. And with death, cancers, we're up there. But we're heavy church gore. Now, I'm not, statistically, we hire there. Stroke. Mm-hmm. Then when I look at CPR and, and the likelihood of someone needing CPR in the black community, the, the chances of someone receiving CPR is 30% lesser than other counterparts. So we have to so change that one, our Say that one more time. Say that one more time for the people in the back. So we're at higher risk, if I understood you, yes. we're at a higher risk to need CPR, but we're at a yes. lower risk of having someone in our immediate environment that's prepared to give it to Absolutely. us. Is that, what, is that what you just said? Okay. I just said I said it and I meant it. And if anybody don't believe me, you can go to the American Heart Association. I'm telling you. I, I, I've been a CPR instructor for 16 years. I've known it for over 25 as I've been a practicing hygienist or in some form of health and wellness. And so, and then when I look at the patients that I serve, everyone, we come in, we take your, your, your blood pressure as well. Well, you're okay. Well, I feel okay. Well, 160 over 110, I can't even let you get in your car and drive out of here because your last mm-hmm. known place was right here with me. Now, what I have to do now is call someone to or send you next door to the clinic in order for them to release you to let you get on the road and drive. Because mm. a stroke and a heart attack at 70 miles an hour is something else. And, and it happens. Mm. It happens every day. So, so in, in, the, in the instance of high blood pressure, then, like, is, is the risk, then of uh, so it's it's increasing your risk of having a heart attack or a stroke, right? And so mm-hmm. because of because mm-hmm. of that risk, would would the police or whoever they would look back at your facility and say, Well, you took their blood pressure, you knew that it was high, you shouldn't have let them leave. There's a liability back on you guys. 
Yes, we look at it that way. We absolutely do. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. That's why I'm I'm all in your business. <laughs> Me and everyone else is in your business because what we do in that in that office could kill you. People die in the dental mm-hmm. office. Wow. People stroke out in the dental office. We have had to do CPR in a, the dental office. It's not that's that's not what you want. But a lot of times, because we don't see or taste or feel anything wrong, that we feel like we're healthy, and that's not the truth. By the time the body is saying to you, "Hey, something is wrong." It's been in survival long, so long until it rebels against you in a form of a heart attack, in a form of uh, diabetes and cancer and all this stuff, because your body has tried to repair and restore itself, but you're not giving your body what it needs to stay healthy. That's that's us. Mm-hmm. That's where we have to change the narrative. That's where we need to wash our hands. So you said change the narrative, which I love because, you know, that's one of my big things I'm always saying, like, the person who controls the narrative controls the outcome. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm saying it in con- in the context of being able to tell your story and to have your voice heard and um, to tell your story your way and take, out, take from it what you want to take from it and own that. Um, but I love the way that you used it from a standpoint of taking responsibility to change the things that you can, basically, is yeah. what you're saying. Like, you mm-hmm. said, do some, start reading, do some research. Don't don't take no for an answer. Reach out and ask for help. If you get no, kind of keep searching, keep digging. Um, what are some yeah. other things that that you you would tell people to do if they're faced with a health scare? Whenever you're faced with a health scare, again, knowing that you can change the narrative, you need to understand. What is that disease? I had to research what type of cancer that I was dealing dealing with. Why am I dealing with low blood pressure? What is going on with my thyroid? So looking at, at it and, and saying what is it that is out of harmony with the rest of this body, which is a network of systems that's working together to give you life. So this one little part is, is acting up, but why? You know, just to give your uh, to say, accept. Let me just take this prescription. That's grabbing that low hanging fruit and just saying, okay. But it doesn't solve anything because over mm-hmm. time, the the prescription increased, and then you need an, another medication to offset the side effects from what you're taking, and then it just becomes the domino effect of medication. And it's usually where if you're it, most people take up to at least a minimum of three medications. In your body, mm-hmm. God designed it to be so majestic where you can heal yourself. So what you have to do is look at it. If it's diabetes, then know what what is affected with diabetes within your system. First, looking at that pancreas, looking at uh, what other uh, factors or um things that could go wrong with your body, looking at your, your kidneys and um, uh, your eye health and, and your blood glucose, and where all these things come from. Let's look at the endocrine system. So you have to do a lot of reading and researching. What is this disease that I'm dealing with? Okay, diabetes. 
Now, again, from that, you still continue to look at everything that's connected or primary organs that's affected by that disease. And then after you find that, you look at the foods that are good for you and what are antagonists to your health. So we know that high sugar is not what you want to be. It's an antagonist. So it's going to antagonize that disease, your disease or your condition of type uh, or of diabetes. So you know that you don't want to have anything that your body interprets as sugar. So again, hearing that diagnosis, you have to look at what it is and within the network of system, what going to be affected, and then what is the overall system that is is producing it uh, uh, or responsible for it. So when you look at what is controlling the the uh, pancreas, you have to go see what who a uh, endocrinologist. When your thyroid is out of whack, who do you go see a uh, endocrinologist? So. Mm-hmm. A primary care physician, I'm not speaking bad of them, but they're limited in what they're, what kind of blood panels they're going to order for you. So have a, un, a, a very uncommon uh, journey with thyroid disease. And I knew that it would, could happen because of having cancer itself. Well, I've seen an endocrinologist. I was placed on Synthroid four times. They were going to increase my dose. Until I start looking at, hold on, wait, hold, do not increase any doses here. What am I doing? So I started uh, writing down everything that I was eating yet again. Okay, what is an antagonist? Okay, you can't have these combination of food. You can't have this broccoli with this and not enough zinc and trace minerals to support your thyroid health. So there is a lot of researching that goes on with your disease or condition, but you cannot be lazy about it. In order to Mm -hmm. be your best advocate, you have to be your best advocate even against you sometimes in your bad habits or bad lifestyle and bad living because a lot of times we don't want to take account for that. But we have to take a, a account for our bad habits and lifestyles that we lead every day. So yeah, I had a irregular. No, go ahead, hon. No, I'm so sorry. So now I was just wrapping up and saying that's what I would say to the to my sister or brother. And when they have that diagnosis, these are all the things that they will have to do to bring their body back into harmony or lessen the blows from any disease or condition. Because you you can control a lot of that. Even when you speak of COVID, you can control a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And I know, like, from my own experience, like you were saying about the the primary care doctors and again no hate mail or whatever nobody's saying don't go see your doctor or if anything the opposite definitely go see your doctor but the fact is like my personal experience right so right before I moved from Dallas I had like an irregular test with my kidneys and then they were mm-hmm. like well you need to come back in a few weeks cuz it could be that you're dehydrated um you know that could affect it and so forth and so on And so when I went back a few weeks later, they're like, if it decreases, then we don't, you know, we're not going to worry about it. And we'll just assume that it was from the 
dehydration. Plus, I had had like a pre-workout that day and just all kinds of stuff. Um, but long story short, I when I went back, the test was, you know, the numbers were better, but they were still just slightly outside of normal range. And mm-hmm. to, to the point of exactly what you're saying, the the doctors, I said, well, what do we do? You know, what you know, what can I do to, you know, keep this from getting worse? His exact words were, there's nothing you can do. I was like, what? I'm Mm -hmm. thinking, no, Mm -hmm. like I supported somebody that was in complete renal failure. I know that's not true. Exactly. But if if you don't advocate for yourself, but it was exactly what you said, so I'm like, well, can you give me any literature on it? You have nothing in the office to give me. Um, and it, but I had to go and I had to research and, you know, I still don't do all the things I'm supposed to do, but, you know, after listening to you tonight, I'm definitely going to, you know, recommit to some of those things because, you know, you're, what you're saying is exactly true. Like his whole thing was until basically he literally told me until you're in stage four or five of renal failure. Yep. There's mm-hmm. nothing we can do. Right. Um, if I'm in stage five, you're putting me on a transplant list. I'm not trying yep. to go from just slightly <laughs> numbers that are just slightly off to the transplant mm-hmm. list because I'm doing nothing and you won't help me. Right, right. See, but see, also, here is, here is the, the, another statistic with um, Reno or um, nephrons. I want you, everybody, write this down. Nephron. Nephron is the other word for kidneys. And nephritis is it contributes to fifty-two thousand deaths per year. So we don't have time to wait for us to get in the stage where we're getting ready to knock on death door. So right. I look at unfortunately is our our medical system is nothing more than a repair shop. Right. It's nothing more than a repair shop. And for them, because why, with the medical system, when you think about insurance, you know, they bank all their bucks on bad behavior. Because they know right. people are not, they know. We have all this evidence. We have evidence-based public health. And do you think people uh, quit smoking? Nope. You still have people right. that smoke. <laughs> you still have people that won't exercise. You still have people that mm-hmm. won't eat their fruits and vegetables. That's nasty. What? Or you're, you, you, the only way you can eat your broccoli is with a pound of cheese. And it has to be boiled <laughs> with salt. Come on now. It's, right. it's a bad, broken, and biased system. That's what we're dealing with. That's the heart of the matter. And when we have mm-hmm. all this evidence that suggests if we do these things, these this this behavior, then it helps reduce. And the healthier you are, the better your body is going to respond to treatment or whatever you need to bring it back into a healthy state. We have to look at all these uh, these different things and just say, okay, listen, what can I do to bring my body back here? 
And knowing that our, our system, uh, unfortunately, like I said, is, is bad, is broken, and is biased. And there is delay in treatment. There is um, delayed diagnosis on the part of the practitioner and as well as the patient. But in between all of this, what, does, what are your lifestyle and habits that says you're reducing your risk or chance of being on high blood pressure medication, diabetes medication, then, I mean, well, having a stroke, all these different things that we're in the leading cause of, of death. You know, and there's, there's, like you said, and there's some truth to, you know, the ability to have access to adequate health care. And, you know, we mm-hmm. can talk about, you know, old you know, the old school redlining and how that impacted the health care system. Oh. So there are legitimate um, systemic things that prevent oh, yeah. black and brown people from, from getting, you know, the health care that they need. But yes, I think what if we if we take away anything from this conversation, it's that the things that we can control, like you were saying, like you have to be, you have to accept responsibility for the things that you can control. And in the age right. of cell phones and the internet, I'm not saying you need to self-diagnose, but you can come up with a pretty creative and pretty effective treatment plan yes. in the interim of being able to mm-hmm. get the health care you need to get, get authorization for the test for the insurance company and things like that. But to your point, like we're not even doing the, the in-between things to help ourselves. And then we're mad because, you know, our communities are being attacked by all of these various diseases. But like you're saying, a lot of it is within our own control. Like we can control what we eat. Yes. And broccoli cheese variable. is really good. I'm just going to say that. But <laughs> <laughs> you're right about well, not, you know, but you have to get creative too, you know, you figuring do. out like new recipes, like figuring out ways to do it in a way that the food still, like good food can taste amazing too. It doesn't all taste bad. No, no. But see, we've, we've, we've just been so introduced at a young young age to, uh, junk food and the, the taste that it, I mean, we love the taste. We love chips. We love, uh, candy. We love cakes. We love sweets. We love fried food. We want burgers. We want chicken tenders. We want deep fried, deep fat fried food. Yes, we want all those things. And I'm not saying you can't have them, but it has to be in moderation where it can't be more than good foods that's going to sustain health. It just don't work that way. And when we learn to eat for energy and not pleasure, we'll be a better off group of people as well. Now, have your broccoli with a little bit of cheese, but also have a broccoli salad that may have, you know, some grapes in there with it. You can chop up those little florets and have a little raspberry vinaigrette on it or a broccoli slaw. Your body needs that balance. It it grabs the nutrients in the most original form that it comes in. So a lot of times we are missing those key nutrients that says, hey, we're, it, it leads to good health. We need this at a oh, cellular level. Your food is nothing more than cellular communication. 
That's what it is. <laughs> That's what I call cellular it. Cellular communication. That's what it is. You're telling these cells how to do the food, how to operate and what it's going to produce and how it's going to function. You don't give your body enough sleep. You're telling your body you, 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 it, it, sleep is so important. People say, I only want to take naps. And hustler, we get so caught up in these cliches and these phrases and saying that leads to not good health. You have to get a good amount of sleep for your cells to rejuvenate, restore, and to rest. So, uh, and, and I mean, just when I, I think about uh, all the, the, the different things that says, are these behaviors leading to good health where I can, at 116 years old, I can go to sleep and I can go to sleep one day and then I'm just off into glory. It's not no battle. It's no, no, not. It was just, it was just her time. We're just going to celebrate because it was just her time. So when we think about a lot of stuff, when I think about inflammation and what is caused with the inflammation in the body, we think about so many different things, arthritis, joint pain, all time as we think about asthma, we think about cardiovascular disease, diabetes, obesity, and and stuff. I think you see and think about, well, what is all this does this mean for my health? I don't eat deep, deep. Well, I do. And you most people when they when I think about you eat these too. If you ever read the ingredients on some yogurt that says strawberry <laughs> look on the right. look, read read because most people want I don't eat. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Maybe not a lot of it, but you do. But I wanna say I want to share all of this and I'm again, I was just so excited. I've just been talking, I'm not even sure if I'm cohesive at this point. But what I will say in this moment of my excitement is I want to share what I've been through with my battle with cancer and and other health conditions or as a provider myself, just let you know that even looking at statistics, every 30 seconds, 37 seconds, someone dies of cardiovascular disease. Every 40 seconds in the U.S., someone has a stroke. But when when I tell you that beets dilate your blood vessels and reduce your blood pressure, I why aren't you on the beet? You do like that. Right. Trust me. You do. Carrots. It helps well, reduce and, cholesterol. And can we just say we're not talking about the beets in the can that come out with the little ridges that people be eating and and, and whatnot? Oh, like they, we're talking about natural roots, the kind that still have the stems and stuff the on them. There's some yeah. stuff <laughs> Yes, ma'am. That's what we're talking about. That's exactly what I'm talking about. In your produce section, your farmer's market, that is where your pharmacy is. The produce is your pharmacy, if you allow it to be. But everything that I want to share is to, one, it can help save someone's life, including my own. So as I'm mm-hmm. talking to you guys, I'm still re- I'm encouraging myself too. You do like me. And <laughs> I'm for the the doctor away. When when I look at okay, listen, people, when you stop consuming solid foods, 
You allow your digestive system to take a break. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it's exhausting. It's a, it is. It's a very exhausting task that your body has to go through to break down your food. And if you don't really chew your food up well for digestion, there's chunks in your stomach. But juicing, it helps get if it, it's one of the, when I tell you, a good juice detox, if you can do it even just for three days, it is, it is a spiritual walk, it's an emotional, and it's a physical healer. Now, I won't talk all day about juicing, but that's what I do know juicing has been for me. <laughs> It well, and I, I do. I do want to talk about. I do want to talk about juicing. So we're gonna take a quick break, um, listen to a little bit of music real quick. But when we come back, I do want to talk about juicing. I want to talk um, about meditation specifically. Um, those okay. two things, because I know that you shared with me that those were things that were critical in you kind of reclaiming authority over yeah. your wellness and your treatment and your medical um, treatments and stuff like that. So you might not want to talk about it a long time, but I want to talk about it. So <laughs> I do. <laughs> All right. So we're going to take a quick little music break, and we'll be right back. Talk 
All right. So that was um, the song is called Outside Your Door, and it's Michelle Nicticello. Um I love that song. I love that song. She, her whole vibe just is just a beautiful, just beautiful energy in her music. Um, but when we were, before we went on break, you were, you had just started to talk um, about juicing. And, you know, I was thinking while the music was playing about how, one of the things you said early on in the show, you said, and you were talking about your ex-husband um, during your mm-hmm. cancer diagnosis, and you said, I'm not going to ask you to love me. No. And I was thinking about how all this stuff kind of comes comes back, right, and how, you know, so many times both men and women do this where mm-hmm. we're we're begging for somebody else to love us. We're... doing thing within our power to garner that person's affection, to garner their attention, to make them notice us, to make them appreciate us or respect us, all these things. But Mm -hmm. meanwhile, like when it all comes down to it, you know, all the things that you're talking about, like are we really even loving ourselves? And, you know, they say that you can't love somebody else until you love yourself. But I think that, some of these things that we can take charge of kind of fall into that self-love category. And we think self-love, we think massages and, you know, di- you know dinner and wine out with the girls, um, self-love, self-care type of things. But really um, taking ownership of your wellness decisions, and this mm-hmm. is me kind of sharing sort of off the cuff, I was processing some of the things that you were talking about, and I was just like, well, how can we have healthy relationships with other people when we're not having a healthy relationship with our own body? Right, that part, first. Right. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm guilty of it because I gained about 50 pounds, and I'm like struggling to, you know, stay focused and get, get back on the train track right and all these things, and have all these excuses, but tonight's show was really timely um, for you to kind of bring all of this under one one umbrella and really tie together the holistic approaches to to medicine and um, treatment of our overall well being. So whether it's emotional health, mental health, mm-hmm. physical health, um, it kind of all goes together. So um, let's talk a little bit about the juicing, first of all, and kind of explain how that works and why it's effective and how you were able to use it and what you think it did for you as far as your your cancer treatment was. Yes, listen, let me tell you, I was introduced to juicing from one of my friends here, uh, Cece, Dr. Cece. She lives here in Dallas, and in that she had made mention, and Jusen to me was like, who, what, why? And I had to learn how to see. I took for granted that I was this athletic type, but I didn't play sports, but I did athletic things. I love running. I love working out. You didn't have to drag me to the gym. I love it. But because I did those things, I didn't always eat the best. 
I would eat okay, but not my best. And so when my, my good sister friend introduced me to juicing, I was like, oh, okay, you know, I, I don't know much about it. I don't know what I, I mean, I just didn't understand. So she gave me a little bit of information. I started doing a lot of research about my first juicer. And when I noticed that when I juice uh, my certain combinations of fruits and vegetables, how it impacted me receiving chemo afterwards, how I re- my body processed it afterwards. So I juiced apples, I juiced celery, I juiced carrots, I juiced the beets. And for me, I know that we have juice recipes that we may say, I'm going to have these three here to help combat this disease or condition. If you introduce all type of juice, fruits and vegetables to your system, then you won't have to do it for one disease or condition because you're doing it for systemic health. Mm. And so I, I, I tell you, I fell in love with juicing 11 years ago, and it hasn't changed. I juice some of everything up under the sun. I, cucumbers, love it. It's good. It's great. Um, pears, uh, kale. Spinach, um, my beets, celery, carrots. I do some of everything, and so when I when I juice for systemic health, then I don't have to have this combination of, well, this is going to help lower uh, my blood pressure, lower this and lower that. You do it for health, then you don't have to target anything again. So, juicing is a the best way to help cleanse your, 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 your cells, repair them, and regenerate them at the, at the cellular level for overall uh, great function for this body, this network of working systems that is going to give you good life. And in this thing called good life, you want to have a good quality of life that's associated with it. And that's in the absence of pain and disease and conditions that, uh, interfere with your ev- everyday living or your living activity. So, yeah, juicing is when I tell you is 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 life saving. You is is very is it's a life saving thing. It it really is. And I I wish more people would juice. And then you can increase. You can find other ways to increase those um, your fruit and vegetable intake. Now, you can't have any kind of juice. <laughs> it's juicing. It's juicing. If you get, if something right. is sitting on the sh- and it has a two-year life, that's not juicing. That's not a juice fasting <laughs> either. I want to be clear about that because I've been asked that right. before. I just ate some, I just drank some um, moths or whatever. I, no, that's not juicing. Mm-mm. No, sir, no, ma'am. That's. One of the things, too, like you were talking about the beets, and I don't know why beets is such a big hangout for people, but for one, they have just a beautiful color. But, you know, they kind of have this dirt taste, right, like when you, when mm-hmm. you put them in. Because I used to do um, fruit and veggie smoothies. And I want to mm-hmm. talk to you in a second about kind of the difference between that and juicing. But um, once you do this, after a few weeks, 
your taste buds actually change. And so they things do. that you once thought like, mm, uh-uh, like you can actually train your taste you buds can. to crave things like broccoli yep. and kale and beets and yep. all of that kind of stuff. Um, but it's like muscle memory because as soon as you yep. stop doing it and stop, you know, you start reintroducing other stuff and your body's like, oh, yeah, we like the salt and fat over here better. Right, yes. But you have to deny that. I mean, again, it has to be in so low consumption that, um, and honestly, you will start rejecting it the more you stay on that lifestyle. And I know during the holiday season, it's hard, and then we, the mm-hmm. new year, new year, we'll keep doing it. But when you train your mind, your body will follow. And so you have to make a conscious effort every day to plan out. Now, I juice for three days. And then I have to juice again for the next set of, set of days. But when I think about when you do your research on beets itself, beets in, 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 uh, it includes an ingredient that they use in antidepressants. And I'm gonna have to look it up. Um, uh, uh, it, let me see. Um, um, oh, I'm trying to think of it. But anyway, it is a, a substance beet contain um betaine, something like that in there, it, which is a substance that's used in depression treatment. So when you think about it, if you're having anxiety, grab your your combination of spinach, apple, carrots and golden beets. There you go. But I'm gonna look it up and I'm gonna I'm gonna send Put it in one of the comment sections, but these okay, yeah. I'll have you drop it in the group chat too when I do the post in the Voiceless to Victorious um, Facebook group as well. Um, so what's what's just kind of real quick, and then I want to talk about meditation before we wrap up. But mm-hmm. what's the biggest difference between like actual juicing, where you put it in and you discard kind of the pulp? of the fruits and vegetables versus like a fruit and juice smoothie where you're kind of grinding up everything. Are they both equally good for you? Should you do them simultaneously, interchangeably? Or was one better than the other in your opinion? No, one is not better than the other. Uh, Your body needs both. But the benefit of what juicing does is it allows your body to take a a break. And so what you're – and you're just really extracting all the, the the liquid form out of whatever food or vegetable and, you know, allowing it to hit your body or your system much faster in a juice. Smoothies, again, they're great, but that's another balance that your body needs to have it. Your body can take in the juicing, the smoothies, which is great, in the natural form of what your food is. So you can juice celery, you can have it either in a a smoothie or, you know, or you can have uh, uh, spinach in a smoothie as well as you can juice it. But then you can also Mm -hmm. eat it in the raw. So you need all three, actually. So all of them play an equal role in what your health is. All of them will play your body processes each Because your body processes it differently depending on the form that it comes into the body, right? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So 
meditation, um, in your bio, you said you do guided meditation and, and mindful meditation. What's the mm-hmm. difference and how did you use those in your treatment? Oh, wow. Listen, uh, meditation is, for me, the multivitamin of the mind. And it's a supplement that you give your mind to be able to deal with all the distractions, interference, disruptions that happen in in this thing called life. So I was introduced to um, meditation, and one of my groups, we had a little small book club, and one of the first books that I read on meditation, if you can imagine, (laughs) is uh, Russell Simmons. Listen, did you say, I'm hitting this. Wait, did you say if I get a MacBook? No, no, no. Uh, if you can imagine. Oh, imagine. I was imagine. like, girl, I'm not getting no Apple products. I don't like, uh-uh. Now, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm all PC. I'm not no, no MacBooks over here. I'm, anyway, go ahead. I got distracted. You're so funny. But if you can only imagine this book. And it's from this person. Russell Simmons had one of the best books that I could read on meditation. And I read mm. it with a group. I'm serious. I'm, I'm so serious and so sincere. And it was um, called Success Through Stillness. And, and, and now, now with Russell Simmons, now you, I know he wrote that book because there's cuss words in that book. <laughs> so, I know for sure. I what I tell you, I know for sure he wrote that book. He wrote the book. But meditation, would it would oh gosh. Meditation is really a supplement for your mind. And why uh, why everyone needs to have it in their life for mindful meditation, guided meditation, or you you may listen to me if uh, I, I did one with a group of scuba divers. So with scuba divers, you're going through you're going um, underwater at these certain depths. In each level, you have to depressurize. Well, I teach them, I target them because if you panic, you can die. That's mm. real talk. And so what I I teach about meditation is being able to, in the midst of anything chaotic, being able to calm the mind, to move you forward in a way that doesn't produce harm to yourself or to others. And so the book, again, that I read was Russell Simmons that introduced me to the meditation. And so when, I, when you look at meditation, you look at the brain, you look at the mind, two different entities, right? So the brain is one of the largest, most complex organs in the human body. And mm-hmm. when I think about it and what I know is that it has a hundred billion nerves that communicate through a synopsis. So that's how they talk to each other and they they communicate. But the mind, the mind. Now the key thing about the brain, the brain uh holds key things not only the nerves but it also houses the amygdala. Hold that for a second. So it houses the amygdala. Mm-hmm. And that's the structure that's within the brain that responds to stress. 
when that amygdala is not trained, it's going to dump into your system all these hormones that is dumped in there that's in there for four to six weeks in your body, in your bloodstream, and it doesn't produce good health. Because the body produces it doesn't mean it's good for you. Now, the mind, when you think of the mind, the mind is a set of thinking faculties, including cognitive aspects, consciousness, um, I think about imagination, perception, thinking, judgment, mm-hmm. uh, memory. Mm-hmm. All, most of all, our emotions. Right. So how does these two play a part? The mind is more so powerful that it controls the brain. Unless you have meditation. Now, meditation is a form of being able to detach from the world again that centers you back in the state that you don't produce any harm to yourself or others. And I, and I say, I, and I use that word harm, well, I don't want the hormones to be dumped into, into your system because eventually it can produce other conditions, disease mm-hmm. in the body. So right. with, with the amygdala, the more trained it is, the more responsive you will be to chaos and trouble. So what does that look like? It looks different for everyone. I guide people. They listen to my voice to calming music or meditation music, or I train people or teach people how to step away from your settings. Well, I'm always going to think about something. Okay, hold that thought. Let's start off with five minutes. No, let's start off with even 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. 15 seconds, people. Detach from the world. Take a deep breath. Your breath is life. And so with meditation, what you have to remember is the more, again, that it trains the amygdala, the more calm, the more responsive, the more mental flexibility in your emotional intelligence will kick in. Because it, it says to your body, even though there's a swarm of bees around me, you don't respond to it. It keeps a sense of calmness and well-being about your person that you don't have to clap back at anything because you have meditation Mm -hmm. that is centering you. If you have high blood pressure, if you are an attorney, if you have a pulse, you need to meditate. Meditation and mindfulness says, hey, I'm moving from all this chaos to focus my attention right here. And when I take and, and I just I just want to drop I just want to say two things right here. So one mm-hmm. and is that um, I don't know if the listeners remember this or not, but a couple of weeks ago we had um, Joy and Fazzini on, and she talks about narcissism, and I'm bringing uh-huh. that up because one of the things that Joy shares was that when people are, are exposed to, like, domestic violence, narcissism, um, external stressors, she went into and she also explained that the amygdala changes. And so here we yeah. are again having a completely different conversation, and we're right mm-hmm. back to that tiny piece in, in our brain, 
and understanding yep. how it affects all of the different um, mechanisms and how we oh, how we think. And then the other the other point I wanted to to kind of make and and drive home is that from all of the stuff that you're saying, like this stuff, whether it's the juicing or the meditation, it's not a one and done. Like all of no. this stuff is muscle memory. And so you want these things to become um, your go-to responses. So when you're stressed, rather than your body responding with the cortisol and you know, some of the yes. other things that your body normally responds yes. from, your body will in, intuitively, you want it to go to a place of calm. So the deeper yes. the stress, the more likely you are to go to calm. But you can't get that muscle memory and those hair trigger responses without constantly practicing this stuff. Yes. Yes. It's a lifestyle. It's not a one and done or um let me get past my divorce or let me get get right. through this. It's not something that you just pick up and expect to respond. Or it's just like you flossing your teeth two days before you go to the dentist. We still see the effect <laughs> of it. Right. <laughs> we still see right. the effect. And I used meditation. That was one of the strategies that I used in my domestic violence recovery um, Mm -hmm. to be able to take myself out of emotional, like to separate from emotional triggers and to be able to just kind of get in touch with myself. And, you know, I was on this journey to kind of figure out who I am and what do I Mm -hmm. like and where's my place in the world and, you know, all of these things. And meditation, prayer and meditation both actually, um, were two tools that I was able to use that helped me successfully navigate that process. And so, um, but also exercise. And so a lot of the things that you're talking about, you know, we're talking about it from a standpoint of medicinal health care, physical health. But when you're recovering from, you know, domestic violence, whether you're recovering from, you know, a, a physical illness or whatever the case may be, these strategies can be applied across the board. And I think one of the things before we close out the show, I want to, I want to highlight that you said was that you have to, um, you have to continue to practice it. And, you you know, you just said like, you can't just brush your teeth two days before you go to the dentist. Like we'll know. Yes. We'll know. Yes. I'm going to show you. Life is going to show you these things. And until you take to the, you're taking in your everyday practices and daily life is in your meditation. And I wish we had so much more time to talk about it. But when you come back and we're going to, we're going to do a conference. <laughs> but if you, you know, pack these things in your daily living, you know, the meditation, the juicing, um, your, uh, exercising, eating right in your arsenal, honestly, Mm -hmm. it leads you to this higher quality of life. It it really does. And it's never late. Wherever you are, you can make a better decision because you control the narrative. Now, don't think 
God is, I know God is in control. God gives us the freedom of choice as well. So when you these choices, you can't get away from the consequences of what your choices are. So right. I want to just be very mindful. Meditation is very key. It's very key in being able to get you from point A to point B without being all out of sorts about it, up in arm, and allowing you to not have that knee-jerk reaction. It helps with that self-awareness, self-regulation, so that when somebody is acting, you can just, you can stay calm the entire time and not be moved. So it improves not only your spiritual health, your mental health, but your physical health as well. Yeah, it does. So I want to... I want to go ahead and wrap up because we're a little bit over time, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to end the show and not have that conversation about meditation because it was definitely a crucial piece for me as well. Um, and so a couple of things before we close out. One, um, the takeaway is that meditation is a multivitamin of the mind. I absolutely love that. That's in my notes. Um, and then for those of you who didn't take notes, the book that she was talking about for um, learning meditation was called Success Through Stillness by Russell Simmons. And yes. it does have cuss words in it, so y- you have been fully informed of that. Um, <laughs> but beyond that, sis, thank you so much. Um, I think we need to have you come back on again and just, you know, maybe let's dedicate a whole show to talk about specifically the, the mindfulness and the meditation yeah. and um, yeah. how to use that as a tool. But, yes, so that's yes. it for the show tonight, guys. Um, Tawana, thank you so much, sis. I just, again, appreciate you tremendously and um, lots and lots of good takeaways for the audience to um, hopefully go back and listen to the replay because it was a lot of information. But um, we're we're better for it. And I know even I, you know, got a little swift kick in my the seat of my pants to get my rearing gear again and, do the things that I know um, are in my own best interest. So with that, guys, this is the B2B podcast. This is Dr. Marcy, my guest, the Dallas sweetheart, (laughs) Ms. Buttercup, Tawana Watson. Um, And for those of you who um, the replays are always going to be available in our Facebook group called Voiceless to Victorious. Her contact information will be downloaded in there as well. So if you have any questions, she already said early in the show, If you don't know, reach out, ask the question, and she'll be there to help. So with that, guys, have an amazing night, and thank you so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you all next Tuesday. Yes, yes. All right, sis, I appreciate you tremendously, and we are out of here for the night. Thank you. I'm sorry. I didn't even pay attention. No, that's okay. It was no, it was it was great information, and you know I'm a big girl. I know how to how to wrap stuff up, but it was it was too good to just let it go. So we'll just have we'll just have you back on. And we'll talk about the the meditation piece a little bit uh, again at another date. So. Yeah. Oh, okay, sis. Well, thank you so much for having me. You know where to find me, and um, but thank you for our opportunity just to um, come before your audience and share uh, a little snippet of you know uh, my journey and things that helped me along the way. You blessed us all, sis. Thank you so much, and have an amazing night. Thank you.
You too. Take care.